Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Welcome to Manalyzing. Today's guest is Pele Tautu. Now, I've interviewed him before, but he, this is a man who runs deep. He kind of reminds me of the lake that I live by. Uh, it is large, it is still, and it is deep. And it's uh, the stillness of that lake and the stillness of Pele's soul. When I'm, uh, when I'm around Pele, I feel still. I feel at peace. I feel capable and powerful and strong. That's what Pele does for me. Despite of this, uh, Pele considers himself to be less than. And in his case, it, it has to do with his place of birth. For the rest of it, there's another reason. The difference is that Pele will uh, will talk about it. Listen up as Pele talks about what other men will not. Here's the interview. What's your favorite moment in your life? And ixnay on getting married and having babies. We, you know, everybody's going to say that. I want, I want a different answer. <laughs> my favorite moment in my life. I think different stages of our lives we have different favorite moments. But you want me to go way back, or whatever you decide your favorite moment is. Okay, so. I think one of my favorite moments, just me personally, was learning to surf. I think it was the summer of my eighth grade year going into ninth grade. Uh, we don't usually surf. Uh, most of us Samoan guys were at the park playing basketball, football, or rugby, or we're park freaks, right? Uh -huh. One of my best friends, Hawaiian guy, Tommy Wong, he was uh, him and his family surfed. Uh-huh. And so I hung out with him a lot. And one summer he decided we were with him at the beach and he says, hey, let's go surf. And so we tried it and we made it a part of our routine. We'd still go and do our thing on a nice Hawaiian summer, uh, playing a lot of ball, um, eating good food. But then we put surfing into our schedule, our routine. And I think that was an amazing experience. Um, I can resolve a lot of uh, current day issues that I struggle with, with just revisiting those memories of surfing on the North Shore of Hawaii. You think if you had a surfboard today, you could still get out there and get after it? You know, I don't know. I'm just it. You have to be fit and conditioned uh, to to paddle in that current uh -huh. and to to be able to get up and and ride the wave, balance. Um, but if I lived on a beach, I guarantee you, I would be surfing every day. I would have continued to do that. It's to me, it's one of the greatest life sports. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's off the top of my head. That's probably one of my favorite things. Hey, you know, you often talk about uh, football with me, but it sounds like uh, you know, if you could only do one sport for the rest of your life, what would it be? It'd be in the ocean surfing. It'd be in the surfing, ocean. Yeah. Yeah. I, that football sounds... was actually painful. <laughs> I bet. Friday nights were fun, but Monday through Thursday, yeah, that was pain. Yeah. Uh, tell me about 
you know, a difficult moment in your life, um, something where you, uh, you were, tell me about a difficult moment in your life. Um, the one that just comes to my mind right now is just being a young newlywed with kids on the way and, um, just the responsibility of providing for all of their needs and not being in a position at that time to and feel confident in my ability to do it, to provide financially right. for their needs. That When you talk about hard, that stage was hard for me personally. What did it feel like? Um, hopeless, discouraging. Um, I was really hard on myself because I had a lot of time to prepare for that period, of, that stage of my life, but I... I just it it wasn't emphasized in my life, and I I went through the motions, went on a, a mission, came home, went to school, uh-huh. played some football, but that's I didn't really focus my education on, you know, getting getting certified in anything. Uh-huh. I went to school to play football, as right. opposed to what I teach my own kids: go to school, use football as a vehicle to get you your education. So you can provide, you know, more abundantly than I did. Right. And I'm going to say that, you know, we all, one of my employees, you know, I I love the 20-somethings because they're living in a couple of hundred square feet. And for them, it's a castle because, you know, they're away from mom and dad and, and it's awesome and they're on their own. I look at that and I'm thinking, man. I'm glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> but uh, they're happy and they're they're loving it. They've got mm-hmm. munchkins and you know they've got uh, they've got a kitchen about the uh, the size of of uh, the studio, right? And it's beautiful for them. Um, I've been there. I I lived in a place that was uh, it was a smallish house that was um, turned into a threeplex. And we lived upstairs, and it got to be over 100 degrees in in the summer because there was AC, but it was controlled by the people downstairs. (laughs) And they had a very different set of conditions. And, of course, we couldn't even open the windows because they were were sealed shut. Uh, I guess the landlord (laughs) learned from previous experiences. So we just learned not to be there. I guess, um, you know, the reason I'm going there is, um, it's, it's tough when, when we're young for all of us, you know, you, a person, you're 20 something, you, your skills are pretty much limited to, in my case, flipping hamburgers. Mm -hmm. Um, but still we beat ourselves up, you know, nobody's right. We're, we're really good at beating ourselves up. You said hopeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, paint a picture about that hopeless word. I just couldn't find a way to increase or didn't seem like I had doors or opportunities. Uh-huh. And so I looked at what I was doing and what it would take for me to be able to provide adequately. Uh-huh. It was a lot of hours. And so a lot of hours in a day knowing that um, I didn't have any uh, education. At the time, 
no real marketable skills, English learning, uh, just coming from a small island town, simple lifestyle, and to move to Utah, um, it's more complex, competitive. Mm -hmm. And so I'm used to, I'm accustomed to the simple life, going without, going with little, it's no big deal. But when you get married and you move here, and my wife is from here, they have different standards. Right. And to realize that um, the way I perceived, you know, my life would be and the way she does, uh, I needed to do a little bit more and I just wasn't conditioned that way in my mind. So I could go work hours, you know, all day, every day, but at some point your kids are going to need to see you. They're going to need to have their dad. And right. I was totally fine with just leaving, you know, traveling, uh, being gone for months at a time mm -hmm. to provide the, the income we needed. But um, McKay, my wife, mm -hmm. the wiser of the two of us, she made sure I understood that you need to be present in their lives. Uh, their success is dependent on your role too. So It's not just about the, the nickels. Yeah, not just about the nickels. And so we just made it work, you know. What did you do to yourself? Um when when you were in those lows you said it was uh, go ahead <laughs> after work i'd come home late at night and i wouldn't go in the house i'd just go to the backyard and kind of try to figure things out uh -huh. um and I, I i think i heard my son once he goes uh mckay was still up when i got home and he was looking out his back window and he yelled to mckay he goes mom that's talking to the moon again. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he knew, but I'd come home and I'd just sit in the backyard thinking, what am I going to do? You know. And so when you find yourself in that position, you find ways to make things work. And so that's the, that's the other side of the coin is we found ways to, to overcome that. That's my, that's my next question is how so, did you respond? What are those ways? Uh, we got creative um, back then. Um, we started to use the Burr method with real estate. I owned a little house, um, created a rental contract for that house, and bought another house. McKay and I, we would always look for uh, vacant homes in the neighborhoods, and we'd look them up on the county land records and see if there was value, and then we'd talk to the banks. And McKay, being the person she is, I had her call the banks because she is very persuasive. She has all this you know, positive energy, and people really like working with her. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to um, pull those properties out of their portfolios and have someone just uh, provide an opportunity for us to purchase the home. And so one house turned into two, and then we were working on uh, three and four. Uh -huh. And um, then 9-11 hit, and the bank issues hit and kind of disrupted that process. But at the time, that's what we did, and it was working fine. And so... I know, hopefully that happens again. The market's way different today, but for me, anybody can do real estate. Uh -huh. But other uh, other ways to make money, you have to be a professional. You have to have a master's or a doctorate to doctors, lawyers, um, uh, corporate level people. They, uh, I don't. That's not where my zone of genius, and I don't have those credentials, right? And so I have to be creative. And at the time. Real estate just was really the only option. so. Right. But it worked for you. Yeah, it worked for a while. And then, like I said, 9-11 hit, 
hit a lot of us. A lot of people had to make some changes. A lot of people lost. And so. So how often were you talking to the moon? Um, a few times a week. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where I kind of tried to put things together. I read. I learned from any anybody I could. And I just, looking back, the one regret I have is that I, ha I wasn't able to capitalize on it. Um, when 9-11, 2008, when the banks crashed, uh -huh. a lot of us lost everything. Right. Um, and so we had to make some quick changes um, and adapt. But after that happened, uh, Mikkei, she's talented. Uh, Apari showed up, showed up shortly after that. It's a swimsuit company that Mikkei was a part owner of. Uh-huh. And she helped build that company to a very successful uh, program. So, so it was like one door open, one one shut. So okay, uh, when you were talking to the moon, because this is awesome, I need we, we need to talk about talking to the moon. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of wish now, and at times in my life, that I would have done more talking to the moon. Um. <laughs> What kind of stuff were you, uh, were you, I I'm sure you were talking to God. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm imagining that you were just going to say, you were saying something like, Hey God, you know, I'm, I'm putting everything in that I got and there's nothing left and it's not enough. It, did it sound like that? Sometimes. Other times I was complaining. <laughs> <laughs> I remember clearly one day I said, how in the world did you let me get into this position? I got a wife and three kids, and I can't even provide for them. Uh -huh. What were you thinking, God? <laughs> and I could, you know, and the response was, uh, I didn't do that. You did that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do, son? <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know what, then the reinforcement comes in. Whenever you talk to the moon or uh, you reach out to your higher power, um, you know that you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you know that it's going to turn out in a way that's going to serve you. And so, for me, I think transitioning from a little island boy in Hawaii, the son of you know immigrant parents, my grandparents, um, and then moving to Utah. That's a lot of transition in a short, in, in one generation. Yes, it is. And so um, the big message that screamed out to me through those conversations with the moon was uh, my role, just my own personal calling, I guess I could say, was to break cycles um, that maybe were counterproductive or wouldn't serve me or my 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 current family. And I needed to put their them in their best, the best position to succeed and enjoy life to the fullest. Um, that that was the goal. And so I was kind of having to become whatever I needed to be, as a man or as a dad, to ensure that some of the regrets that I inherited in some ways or created for myself wasn't going to stop with me. And so that's the conversations with the moon was. Pretty much, uh, that was underlying message for me, and so I, I could either reject it or or just uh, embrace it, and so the best I could, I embraced. You know, I what I see you doing is actually finding a way to manage stuff that most of us men 
don't find a way to manage. Um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, and there's this is one of those cycles that it, that is always the case for us. You know, you've got an issue. Uh, maybe you're short on money the way you the way you describe, and you probably had 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 whatever level of conversation with uh, McKay, your wife, that you'd had, but some of it. And tell me if I'm wrong, but you probably just don't want to keep unloading on her because that adds to her plate. So that that eliminates her as a person that you can always go to. And I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you so for that reason, you choose um, not to always unload your your question marks, your problems, your concerns, your stresses on her. I'm sure women would always love to have us do that. They say they would love to have us do that, but we're not going to always do that. And then you go through the rest of the list. Uh, You're not going to unload that on another woman. That would be a bigger problem. (laughs) There's nobody else to unload that on. So the only, the only, uh, the only thing we've got left is talking to the moon. (laughs) <laughs> and most of us guys don't even think of that. I mean, you at least thought of talking to the moon. You were you were talking the rest of us, we just go into the corner and self-isolate and talk to nobody and there and then there's all that darkness and poison and isolation and loneliness there somewhere near the stomach. <laughs> yeah, you know um um my wife and kids, it's like the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh-huh. Right? That's all of us, I think. It's the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. And when I when I realized that parts of me put them at risk, uh-huh. just the way I do things, my temper, uh, my attitude towards things, um, there's a lot of flaws that I didn't realize that I could go protect my family against predators or anything outside. Mm-hmm. But I realize that the most risk they're facing is if I'm not keeping myself in check. Right. A, a bad dad, uh, a mean dad, an abusive dad. And you know, where we come from, a lot of abuse, a lot of, lot of it. Every day you see it. If it's not happening to you, it's happening around you. And so it's reinforced and it's, um, there's no boundary there. Mm-hmm. And then coming here, bringing my wife and having my kids, fast forward, right? Um, I realized that some of those attributes is in me and it's being passed on to my kids when they when they cross the boundary. Right. You know, there's there's hell to pay. There's a lot of heat. You know, in this country it's it's uh labeled as abuse. Where I come from, that's parenting. One oh one. That's how to live and your so, life. So that was terrifying for me. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, uh, my wife and kids, best thing that ever happened to me, um, realizing that I was a risk to them. I thought, you know what? Um, I have to evolve and I have to do it really quick, Garth. And so in a way, that's purpose for me. Um, not screwing my kids up <laughs> and keeping the smile on, on McKay's face. Um Constantly need to get better at that stuff, but yeah. Anyway, I don't know if I'm heading in the right direction. I I, I think you are. Um, 
you know, it's funny when, um, for us guys in, in the money department, if you don't make enough, you feel bad. You know, you feel like you're failing the family. If you make uh, more than enough, then there's the risk of feeling like, give me your money and then go away. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know what that like yet. that's like yet. <laughs> I missed out on that one. Um, you know, I, and it's, <laughs> and I don't even know that it has to be a more than enough thing. I know a guy who is a solar salesman. And he's living in a condo. He's not making a million dollars a year. Um, but he, and this was way before I started this podcast and analyzing. Mm -hmm. uh, this was years ago. He um, he told me that that was his life. It was like bring home the paycheck and and then go do your thing. Leave the rest of us alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that may be unfair to his wife. Um and but it's it's probably a joint thing it, it's something that he, he minimum allowed and he could have said and i'm speaking through me right. um because i did very similar things he could have said no mm -hmm. i'm going to spend time with the kids i'm i'm going to, uh, you know, this is what this family looks like are, uh, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, from, from a emotional standpoint, I'm here. I belong here. Uh, mm -hmm. I have these principles that are important to me and I'm not mm -hmm. going to sacrifice those simply because you want to punish me or simply because you want to do something else. Right. Um, he felt like a victim, as did I at a time, but it's not up to the wives to change that. It's up to us. True. So that's, so you say that's not a problem you've had. Uh, feel grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> and I, I think even if you did make think, seven figures a year, you still wouldn't have that problem. I think we all have that victim in different ways. Uh huh. Yeah. So we could all fall into, regardless of where we are, um, when it comes to the um, just our role as men. Because um, even though I didn't experience what you had stated, um, I still find myself in victim in other ways. And it's like something that you constantly have to keep in check. Um, you can easily get up in the morning and already be there. Uh -huh. And then that kind of dictates the day, your attitude, um, the vibe you give off. And so um, I think there's some things that every day we just have to keep in check. You know, Todd, I was interviewing him and uh, he was a cop. and. Mm -hmm. And he would come home, he said, at times with cop issues. It was like, today I just arrested a guy who'd raped four little kids. Yeah. And I wanted to kill him and I couldn't. And, and eventually the wife says, I can't handle these stories. I can't. Yeah. And so he turns to Jack Daniels, his next best friend. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, that's... <laughs> Jack is, is not a very good best friend. 
he uh, so then he had uh, he said he was drinking a half gallon a, a day. Uh, we all like to find our own way of going into victim mode. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's true that as as strong as we like to make people think we are. Um, we can, we can be kind of weak, weak. <laughs> no, I agree. It's humbling in it. Yeah. Yeah. So you had those moments where, where you were, where you were feeling weak, uh, in your case. And one of my questions is what happened next. And maybe part of that is talking to the moon. Did you do anything else? What was the, what was a what happened next? I think on? the I think the when things got at its lowest, um, just uh, anger filled heart. A lot of times I'd go for long drives. Uh huh. So I just needed to be if I was around Mikhail the kids, and I was feeling the way I was feeling, I would hurt somebody or break something or just create drama in the home. Uh huh. Um, traumatized my kids, so I had to leave. Um, I remember one occasion, it was a Christmas, and Sai was being a knucklehead, my oldest. He kept picking on my daughter in front of the family. And when you got a bunch of Polynesians together, uh -huh. there's some standards that you have to follow. And whenever your kids are out of line, you got to check it uh -huh. right then and there. Don't wait. Um, if it distracts from what's going on, then... It has to be addressed. And so I pulled Sai aside and I brought my daughter and we went into the room and I pleaded with Sai. So brother, I need you to leave your sister alone. You know, it's disrespectful, it's disrupting what's going on, and he wasn't hearing it. And so we went back into the family setting. This Christmas Eve, dude. It's how bad it was. And he did it again. And I lost it. I was about to I was about literally I was about to kick his ass in front of, just drag him out. And then when I grabbed him and took him to do it, all my siblings jumped to his rescue. <laughs> all of your siblings, yeah. so you were at a and family I thinking, reunion. I was thinking, hold up. You guys all saw his conduct. This is what usually happens when this kind of behavior occurs from our kids. We handle it here and now. What in the, why, why in the world are you guys stopping me from doing what's always been done, right? Right. And so they separate us and they kick me out of the house. Whoa. And my older brother comes out with me and he goes, hey, man, what happened? I said, hey, man, you saw him. Uh, would you have tolerated that? And he goes, no. I said, well, tell me where I overstepped my bounds. And goes, Maybe something along the line. Well, I think we're in Utah now. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, so I said, okay, I'm out. I cannot go back in there. I was just so upset at my son. And... and you give him your, you give him everything. Uh -huh. So I left, and he ran out of the house. You know, I remember, and he says, "Hey, Dad, my bad. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to get you kicked out." And I said, "Brother, I told you what I need you to do, and you didn't do it." And I said, "After everything I do for you, you know how much I do for you, right?" His tears started to pour out of his eyes. He goes. And he just acknowledged that he screwed up. And I said, well, I got to go. If I don't go, it's going to go bad. So I left. But it, it felt, at least I felt good that he acknowledged that he, he took responsibility for that. So the next time we got together, I said, okay, these are the rules. Son, I need you to follow them. 
We had to. We got to that place a few times, but I was so um, volatile and out of control. I could snap at any time, and that's the reality in my home. My kids, it's not. Mm-hmm. They remember who I was once upon a time, and so I had to. I don't know. I didn't know how to restrain that demon inside of me. I drive by the prison knowing that on any given day I could be in an orange jumpsuit, sitting in one of those cell blocks. Uh huh. Because of what I knew I was capable of, um, and if you crossed me, like Sai just crossed me, and I was about to beat his ass uh-huh. to teach him a message that when I tell you to do something, it happens. You would do it for the rest of your life. If you do this again, it's gonna get worse. And he did do it again. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I should say some of the stuff I did because my line of work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, moments like that, you know, I. He hurt me, I hurt him, and we just know we don't want to hurt each other again. And so um, I think, you know, I was pretty psycho. I was pretty, I had some rough edges as a young dad. And just where we came from, we were exposed to a lot of violence, um, assaults, and, and getting just beaten bad. I've seen fights here in Utah. They, they don't compare. They don't. You can have a fight here, and I can watch it and see, you know what, that's nothing. It's nickel uh-huh. and dime. If you want to see combat, have a Samoan and Tongan have have a rivalry between Samoans and Tongans on the streets. Uh-huh. Pacific Islanders there. Samoans and Tongans are the physically probably the bigger, the biggest, strongest. Right. Of all the Pacific Islander groups. And and I remember seeing rivalries in our town. Every year there was often a rivalry between different races and those racial battles. They were brutal, brutal. And so you kind of see that and it becomes a part of you. You see how we're disciplined. And so when I came here to Utah, I didn't change. The environment changed. And people don't do that here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, I'm not, uh, one of my rules for doing this is I'm not going to just sit here and listen to you be vulnerable. I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's my responsibility to also be vulnerable at a moment like that uh different but similar so in my case i think it might have been uh christmas eve too but uh, there was a family get together and um there was some photo that uh everybody was looking at and i was like show that show that to me so um so it was coming towards me, and then my son, who was probably my stepson, who was probably, I don't know, eight at the time, huh. runs over and grabs it, shows it to everybody, and makes sure that I see it last. You know, so yeah, it was a photo. It doesn't really matter. But uh, the fact that he was taking control of what was important at the moment and uh, using it to stick it to me pissed me off mm. so you know i basically say oh, yeah, show me the photo i don't even remember what the photo was about um but finally i w- i grabbed it and then that damaged the photo and so then i'm yelling at the kid told him to go outside and, and it was magnet apparently it's unsafe to send a kid outside oh, so, so yeah, yeah i went outside And I waited for the party to be done. And I put myself in timeout until those people came out because they were done. Mm -hmm. Um, 
a low point in the marriage. And it was over a stupid thing. But at that, at that time, that was fresh after a divorce where I was very much aware of when somebody was trying to show me up, prove that I am less than. And uh, so for an eight-year-old kid to do this, you know, I wanted to cave his face in. Yeah. Uh, so then I go to a place uh, of, you know, mm-hmm. why do I have to be saluting this eight-year-old? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's not an awesome place to be. So, um, it's not just, I guess, I guess my thing is it's not, there's a Polynesian flavor to this, but, but goes across all some flavor of this happens (laughs) with everybody. So anyway, um, Your response, I, you know, on, on this particular subject, uh, your response was for you to leave and you to drive around. Um, it kind of separated you. Did you go down that road of uh, I'm, I'm ruled by my children? How, how, what, what was going on in your mind as you were driving away? No, I, it was just driven by anger. It was winter, it was cold, and so I drove in and I parked and just sat and thought, and I think talking to the moon again, right? Uh-huh. Um, going through the stages, you know, you're in victim stance, you know, and then just trying to calm myself. And eventually going home knowing how I have to address it, knowing I have to be accountable for it. Yeah. How embarrassing it was for me as your wife to blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I think um, good came of it because, one, I had to change things. And, and this is difficult. Um, but my relationship with my kids, they, the, the, that's the one thing I maintained is, yeah, I'm flawed, but, you know, I'm always there for you. And I learned, you know, I work with a bunch of therapists. And a lot of these therapists in these programs, particularly one, um, um, the first key principle is relationship. Uh-huh. Everything that you have to offer can only pass through a healthy relationship. And if you don't have a healthy relationship, all the, the knowledge, wisdom, and love you have to give won't be received by the next party. So in this case, my kids, um, I had to maintain that. Um, and so it was like science, the way it was presented, uh-huh. it was scientific. And so I said, well, if that's all it is, then I can do that. And so if anything, um, not perfect relationships, I could have done a lot better. A lot of things I missed out on, but for the most part, it was strong enough for anything that I had to offer was accepted. And then fast forward now, my kids, we have a good relationship. Uh-huh. They're doing well. Um, I mustered up all the energy I had to just barely meet the minimum requirement to have my kids say I'm a good dad. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might argue with that. So um, 
that that moment is uh, rough on you as it was. And, you know, I, the thought occurs to me that if you're that angry, the last place you ought to be is in, is in an automobile. But there weren't, again, there weren't any other options. This is, this is the place that us men put ourselves into. If you're yeah. not going to get in front of a car or in front of a wheel, what else are you going to do? You go back in and beat somebody. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of other options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and anything, it's you put yourself at risk because if you do something stupid that you can't take back, right? Right. Um, you made things worse. The one thing you're living your life for, you damage it even more, right? So if you turn to anything, uh, like you said, Jack Daniels, um, other women, <laughs> um, you've lost all of it, right? Right. And so, yeah, you, you, so for me, Garth, I just drove around the lake. Uh -huh. Like, you know, the, your house is a beautiful home on the lake. I drove right here on Redwood and run around the whole lake. I had no idea the lake was that big, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was not mad by the time I turned the corner coming up by a Spanish Fork. Yeah, Goshen, <laughs> Santaquin. That is a long drive. It's a long drive. I thought, oh, anyway. But it's beautiful. Or I'll go up the canyon. I'll go up the canyon drive the loop um you and i both appreciate nature mm -hmm. the stones the mountains the trees and so those things are designed to ground us and help us heal and recover so so that's my uh that's my last question is is well, I'm I'm trying to decide between two one is what advice would you give another man that, that's having that same sort of an issue maybe where the kids are being impossible or the wife is being impossible. Um, the other one is how did, how did that moment serve you? You pick which, which of those questions you think has, has well, the most. I can answer both of them. The first one, the second one, how did it serve me? Um, you experience that. Those are experiences that affect you emotionally, right? And so how do you feel inside of your own skin when you when you res, re, resort to that type of treatment or behavior? Right. It doesn't feel good. And so the key is we got to feel comfortable inside of our own skin. Um, Self-betrayal, something we talked about before. Uh, all these, this team of therapists I mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah, self-betrayal too. That's one thing they talk about. It says you have to. Make sure that you don't betray your own conscience because it'll affect the way you feel. And so if you keep betraying yourself, selling out is the best is the word I like to use because when you sell out on yourself or anybody, that's bad form and it doesn't it never has good results. So when we as men sell out on ourselves, we become ill inside. And when we're ill inside, we have to remedy that. And we can have positive remedies or negative, right? And so um, that's important. We have to take care of ourselves and any self-betraying thoughts and behaviors, uh, those things have to go. And as far as how it served me is I didn't like those experiences and I, don't, I try not to have them anymore. I try to avoid them at best. And if I stay within, live within my integrity, so, true. so, but how do you not have them? Let's say that another Christmas comes and uh, you still got a child who is still bugging another child and you ask him to not and he still keeps on doing it. So how do you, 
Yeah, but see, that Christmas was a bad Christmas. So uh-huh. you have 365 days to address that issue before the next Christmas showed up. So uh-huh. the next Christmas is going to be awesome because January 1st, 2nd, 3rd, February, March, April, May, you learn from that in, that that incident and you adapted you built the relationship. You you came to an you, you addressed the issue when it's not an issue, right? Uh-huh. And so that's all it was. Is the next Christmas is going to be awesome because the next three hundred sixty five days we're going to ensure that that doesn't happen again. And so you got to address the issue. It's like um, correcting a problem before the problem is even ever a problem. Right. So um, my son, you know, I had him read a book that talks about this. Anatomy of Peace, and he didn't understand. Um, there's a pyramid in there, and it's a that's called the change pyramid. And at the very top, at the top section of the pyramid, I think it was layered into like five different areas. The very top was correct, and so he didn't understand the pyramid. Whereas, if you want to avoid a problem, there's different layers to it. The last resort is correcting the problem. Hey, you can't do that. Stop right now. That's the last resort. Okay. And that's the one that us guys always go to as, yeah. as the so first. We resort. always go to. And so he said, Dad, I don't understand that pyramid. And I said, Okay, let me help you understand it. Let's talk about your drug problem, son. And he goes, Excuse me? Yeah, your drug problem. Um, tell me about your drug problem. And he goes, Well, Dad, I don't have a drug problem. And I go, Oh, yeah, you don't. So why is that? Did I have to correct you? Did I have to tell you not to do drugs to um, for you to stop? And he says, uh, "Well, well, no, well, Dad, we just well, we always talked about it over the years when we were young. We talked about how drugs are bad for you. Um, you guys taught us, and you love us, and you've treated us well, and you've always been there for us. And so I never really cared to use drugs. And then now I say, okay, so do you understand how we corrected your drug problem?" And he says, yeah, kind of. I said, we corrected your drug problem when you were six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We didn't wait till you were 15 and you experimented with the drugs for the first time and used and got addicted and then come in and say you can't do that anymore. Correcting your drug problem happened when you was born, from the time you was born till now. So that's how you resolve problems. You, you, you address them before they even before become an issue, right, before they're a problem. And so as far as the Christmas thing, um, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm still a product of my environment and I still get triggered. We go to a restaurant and you got some people just being rude, disrespectful, and obnoxious. Uh-huh. Uh, our role back home is to make that go away fast. <laughs> <laughs> and so here, I just say, I just, okay, let's go. Let's go to a different place. It's going to be too hard for me to get through. I probably won't be able to restrain myself if this guy keeps doing what he's doing. Uh-huh. I address it, and so I have to leave because there's still triggers inside of me. It's still DNA level stuff uh-huh. that I have to be cautious. Have to be cautious, right? Um, so, and then your other, what was your other question? Um, advice. Yeah, what what advice would would you give? Um, yeah, no man is an island. You know, we can't isolate. Um, you have to have a wingman in the good sense, right? Remember Rob, he said, oh, wingman has kind of a negative connotation to it. <laughs> True. So, so, but in a positive way, you need support. Everybody, no one is an island. Um, I go to church on Sundays. That second hour, 
that's all us men talking about a gospel principle and this stuff comes up you know and so we support each other it's only one hour but it's guys getting together talking uh we have dinner sometimes with our circle of friends we meet and that's where we get support we have siblings we have brothers people that are close to us doesn't matter where we have people at work you can always get support or, or just enjoy a healthy relationship um some of the things we need we don't have we're not equipped with it is embedded in other people other men and so i gain strength from something that you offer me you validating me as a man accepting me as a person um gives me value so on a bad day i can say well guards my dude he thinks i'm awesome so, i'm and I'm hearing tens of thousands of men saying, man, I wish I had that. I don't have that. I must be worthless. And I think my response to that is you're a man. You can do hard go, things. Go get it. This yeah. is easy. Yeah, go that, get it. That's a problem you just identified. Go solve it. And then the best way to do it is to be that guy. Hmm. Be, yep. be him. If you see somebody having a hard time or a dude in your circle just having a hard time, you go make sure you pick him up, you know. Relate to them. Uh, don't minimize things, but just normalize it. You're not alone. You can do it. All you got to do is listen. Yeah, listen. So, but, you know, being a man, it, it, there's a lot of joy to it. There can it, be. If you fulfill your role and you prove yourself to yourself mm -hmm. as a man and you just accept, just accept what you are and, and be okay that. be okay with it you know you're good you can get better right um, laugh at things but a man that's isolated um my heart goes out to that guy it's my a tough heart, place yeah he, it's it's yeah none of us should be alone guard so and we all are and that's part of why we're doing this podcast i think a lot of us rec uh, just have grown up thinking that being an island is what our life is yeah and that only has to be until we decide to change it to something mm -hmm. else yeah thank you very much paley you bet hey thank you for listening to this vandalizing podcast i appreciate it you know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalyzing. Manalyzing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalyzing.com. Thank mm -hmm. you.